There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Angela Bishop, and for the past 30 years, I've been lucky enough to interview some of the funniest, loveliest, and zaniest celebrities around. There have been some cracker interviews, but what you see on TV is usually just a fraction of what's actually recorded. Find out what went off before the cameras went on. This is Starstruck with me, Ange Fisher. Hooray for Hollywood, as the song goes, the larger-than-life home of all of our favourite movies and TV series. But did you know the first movie to ever come out of Hollywood was called In Old California and was made over a hundred years ago in 1910. The famous Hollywood sign itself is almost 100 years old. I've been looking back at some interviews with my favourite Hollywood stars and here are a couple I thought you might like to hear. Shirley Jones is probably best known as Shirley Partridge, the head of the Partridge family. It made her a household name all over the world. But being a star was never on the cards for a young Shirley. She had her sights firmly set on a very different career. But fate intervened and she literally fell into show business after being discovered by Richard Rogers, better known as one half of legendary creators of musicals, Rogers and Hammerstein. Rodgers and Hammerstein, they were a crucial part of your career. Major part of my career. The major part of my career. (laughs) They discovered me. They were the two men that discovered me. What were they like? Amazing. And and what were they like to work with? Oh, they were incredible. Really incredible. I mean, it was one of those miracle things that doesn't happen very often to anybody, and it happened to me. Just went to an open audition on my way to college to become a veterinarian. I didn't even want to be in show business. (laughs) (laughs) And I went to an open audition, and... Rogers happened to be across the street. He heard me. Somebody told him I was singing. He came and heard me sing. Called Oscar Hammerstein at home to come and hear me. Imagine. My first audition anywhere, anytime. I was 18. And I never got to college. The poor little animals went, you know, died without me. (laughs) (laughs) Had you trained? What amount of singing training had you It was a gift. I was the youngest member of the church choir at age six. I was given the voice. It was something that was given to me. I thought everybody could sing. I mean, I thought that that was what everybody had, you know. And I came from a very small town near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm an only child. And so I sang at all of the, you know, all the parties for the family and sang at all of the, you know, everything. And as I said, in church and so forth. And uh, then when I was in high school, there was a place called the Pittsburgh Playhouse that I went and I took some acting classes and some dance classes and did some shows. And I loved it and sang all over the place. But again, I said, my, my dream was to become a veterinarian, and that's what I wanted to do, but I never got there. <laughs> What's your favorite Rodgers and Hammerstein part that you played? Which one do you love the most? It's difficult. My favorite score that they've ever written is Carousel. Mm-hmm. I think it's the ma- most magnificent music that they ever wrote that I got to sing. The film wasn't as good as I would like to have had it be, but I love that score. And uh, 
I was I did was in South Pacific yeah. on Broadway. You know, my first show, last three months of the Broadway company, washing them great, great right show. Oh yeah, it was wonderful. <laughs> no, it was truly a, an incredible thing that happened to me. You were the first woman ever to have an Oscar and a number one hit on the charts at the same time. <laughs> not, not the only record you've broken, but I find that a, a fascinating one. I know. So you had a, it was a Partridge Family hit. It was Partridge Family, yes, uh, yes. On the top of the charts. On the top of the charts, yes. Uh, it wasn't quite my song, but nevertheless, I was in it. I was in it, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> what made you cement your decision to, to go into that television role? Is it true that you'd said no to playing Carol Brady? It was, yes, I did. Mm -hmm. I said no to, to the Brady Bunch. You know, at that time, I had done quite a few films and, you know, and had, had the Oscar and everything else. And the agents and managers and people like that said, surely don't do a television series. It'll kill your movie career. You know, it'll be the end of your movie career. So they were all against it. But the Brady Bunch, I, I turned down mainly because I just, if I was going to do it, I didn't want to be the normal mom taking the roast out of the oven. You know, I wanted, I wanted a part that might be a little different. Then when I was offered the Partridge Family... I mean, this was a, you know, everybody was in show business, and they had that. We were all singers. David Cassidy was my stepson, and he had one of the leads in the show. And it was a half-hour show, and I thought, you know what? This is great for me. I can stay home and raise my kids, who were school age at the time. And up at that, until that point, I'd taken them all over the world on movie locations with me, you know. And so this gave me the opportunity if it was a hit, which it was, to stay at home. And David, when did David's casting? Were you cast first, then David? No, did this you? is funny. I was ca I was the first person cast yep. in the show as uh, Mrs. Partridge, Mama, Mama Partridge. And uh, they were had a lot of young people coming to test, you know, for the roles in, in the Partridge family. And I wa walked on the set one day, and David was standing there. The producer had come to me and said, Shirley, how do you feel about your stepson, David Cassidy? Because we're thinking of testing him for the major role in the in the show I said oh he'd be wonderful I said I think it's great but they never they hadn't told him that I was already cast to play the lead oh he didn't know it <laughs> right and I walked on the set and he's standing there waiting to do his screen test he turned around and he said what are you doing here I said I'm your mama <laughs> fantastic <laughs> Was it a fun cast? I yeah, mean, very, very got much. Wild little Danny and uh, yeah, Danny. <laughs> Danny was still as fun now as he was then. We had a great cast of people, I have to say. And you know, there wasn't one moment. The show ran almost five years. It wasn't one moment that I can ever recall that we had any trauma or feelings toward each other or toward the script or toward the director. It was a great fun. We all liked. We all loved each other. We loved working together. We worked well together. You know, and. Um, the fact that David, you know, David's career began with mm -hmm. that, as you know. I mean, he became the star of the century from the Partridge family with their first hit record. Which makes it um, all the more sad, given that family feeling you had to have mm. lost Suzanne mm. so young. Mm. Just so terrible. Yeah. I was in shock when I heard this because she was so young and yeah. so wonderful. And we, you know, we, we talked openly a lot, you know, through the years. And, and uh, I was in shock. I mean, I, I still can't believe it happened, but... I guess it was something she didn't realise. and Yeah. You must feel maternal to all of them. So when Danny was, shall we say, going through his wilder periods in his yes. life, did you sometimes feel like ringing up and going, hey, I put did. yourself into gear? I did. I called him and said, <laughs> what, what do you think you're doing with your life? What's the matter with you? You know. And the funny thing is, you know, he would listen to me. It was so cute. I mean, he wow. would. He would listen. And still has that same sense of humour, which I love which made him a star. I mean, you know, as a little boy, he had the same kind of humor.
She certainly had an eventful life and it's no holds barred when it comes to talking about her not-so-private life. I'm 81 years old. I'm a grown woman. I've done a lot of things that maybe I might have some regrets, but very few, very few. I mean, I had a wonderful first marriage, you know, even though, you know, there was, it was rocky because of Jack and his problems. And um, I have a great second marriage, you know. But everything that happened to me mostly happened with my husband's. It never happened outside of my husband's. So that was a major part of my life. When I was married, I was truly married, and I still am, you know, and that was very important to me. Mm. But I did anything my husband wanted. <laughs> yes. That's the other thing. <laughs> yes. Can I say menage a trois? <laughs> and, but you came from such an innocent upbringing. And yes, very exactly. sheltered. That's right, exactly. Uh-huh. So was that sort of... Well, yeah, it, it was, but then I thought, come on, this is life, and if my husband wants it this way, I'll do anything he wants, and that's basically... You know, some of the things, particularly with Jack Cassidy, my first husband, who was really a very exciting man, you know, and a lot of women found him so, so. And, um, you know, unfortunately he died a terrible way, but he was, he was, he was wonderful. And all my children are with yeah. Jack, you know. I can't imagine getting the phone call as you did for that when that happened when oh. he died. Mm. Um, but it is the lesson of not smoking in bed, oh, I suppose, my gosh. is something awful, to, awful. to put to everyone out exactly. there. Exactly. I've also had the um, pleasure of working with Sean Cassidy. I oh, you have? He was producing a show in on the Gold Coast called Raw, which started very young. I remember Heath it Major. well. I loved it, yeah. Heath That's Major. right, with the, the famous actor that I loved so much who's no longer with us, too. I loved him. He was that was Heath. Heath Ledger. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, that's Heath, what I, yes, Heath, yeah, that's, that's right. what I'm talking Heath about. Heath Ledger and Heath Melissa Ledger. George. Yes, exactly. And Sebastian Roche. Oh. And he was terrific. And he, terrific. Sean has such a... Um, a creative mind. He created this whole still world. still does. He still does. You know, he's got three series coming on the air. Yeah, he still writes and produces and has seven children. Has he got seven, <laughs> seven children? Seven <laughs> children. I have 12 grandchildren. Yes. And what kind of grandmother are you, Shirley? I love grandchildren. I love kids. I mean, I'm an only child and... Uh, you know, everybody said, well, you've had such a wonderful life, career and a wonderful life. I said, my career has been sensational and I'm very proud of what I've done and proud to be in this business. The number one thing in my life is having my children when I had them. I remember saying to my manager when she first started to manage me, this woman, and she said, now, Shirley, you can't have children for quite a while because your career is just going up and up and up. I said, don't you tell me that. I said, I'm going to have children when I decide to have children, and I want to have children right away, and that's what I did. You know, my, my life wasn't, my life was great. My life was very normal for me. You've got one of Hollywood's longest marriages there. 38 years. What's your secret? 38 years. I was married to Jack 18 years. Yeah. See, I've never, I've never not been married is the yeah. point I guess I'm making there too. So I, my point is I believe in marriage. You know, I believe in marriage and I believe in making it work. And yeah. so, um, yeah, well, first of all, I have to be married to a man that makes me laugh. <laughs> I mean, that's the most important thing. As handsome as Jack was and as much of a debonair actor and everything that he was, he was a comedian, too. You know, when I first met Jack, I thought, oh, no, he's too handsome. I'm not going to like him. You know, he's not. Well, the first thing he did was make me laugh. That did it for me. Same with, with Marty. I mean, Marty. <laughs> I met him on Michael Landon's lawn at an art exhibit. Okay. I went to an art exhibit because the artist was painting children and animals. Okay. And I wanted to have a painting done with my youngest son and my dog. And so I was there, and I was waiting for my car. We went, a car drove up. Marty's always late for everything. 
He got out of the car and he bumped into me and knocked me over onto a chaise lounge. And everybody came to pick me up and said, oh my gosh. And Marty said, oh, wait a minute. Aren't you Shirley Jones? And I said, yes. And he said, my name is Marty Ingalls. He said, I want to see you. I said, oh, well, that's nice. Bye. <laughs> well, he tried to call me and call me and call me after that. I really didn't answer. Finally, I answered his call. And <laughs> I got on the phone. I said, this is Shirley Jones. I'm returning your call. Oh, oh, my gosh. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I have to, I have to get out of the tub, get all my notes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he went on and on, you know. Oh, I, I know everything about you. Your favorite color's green. I know your favorite restaurant. I know your favorite movie. He went on and didn't even let me talk. On and on and on. I said, hold it, hold it, hold it. Why are you calling me? I said, are you asking me to go out with you? Well, yes. I said, well, you don't have to go on any further. I said. <laughs> so that was, that's how I got my first date with him. Oh, that's yeah. lovely. Next up, Martin Landau, an outstanding actor with a fabulous career. Oscar winner, Golden Globe winner, probably best known for Mission Impossible and Space 1999. Adolf Zucker, when he was given his 100th birthday dinner at Paramount, said, got up and said, if I knew I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. <laughs> so, so I feel like that too. But you're still doing such great work. It's absolutely Well, I also run the Actors Studio on the West Coast. So I still teach acting. And New York is run by Pacino, Harvey Keitel, and Ellen Burstyn. And I'm the artistic director of the West Coast. And we have probably half our membership out here now because of film and television. You taught Jack Nicholson at the Actors Studio, is that right? Well, not at the Actors Studio, privately. Privately? Uh, yeah, he got into the Actors Studio. But... No, I taught a private class with Jack and, and Angelica Houston and a lot of people over the years. What tips did you give him? Oh, that's too long a conversation. I it mean, is. it would take me about two or three hours to even touch on that. It's uh, Lee Strasberg techniques? Well, it's Lee Strasberg, it's Stella Adler, it's Bobby Lewis, it's Sandy Meisner, it's uh -huh. Harold Clerman, it's a lot of those people who started the Stanislavski method here in the States. Each of them had different emphases, and I could go on and on about this ad nauseum. And are many of the young actors coming through today still studying this technique? Well, if you're a member of the studio, you're a life member. Right. It's not a school. It's, mm -hmm. it's really for it's sort of a, an elitist club. And uh, it's hard to get into the actor's studio. Dustin Hoffman, he lies a lot, but... He says that he, he auditioned nine times, but he auditioned six times. He did. Geraldine Page got in on her sixth audition. Gene Hackman on his fourth, and Robbie Duval on his third or fourth. We only accepted one person this last time on the West Coast. Wow. We saw 30-some scenes. It's hard to get in. But you have the best of the best. That's what... Well, I, I think the best work that's done anywhere in this country is done it behind closed doors at the Actors Studio. Better than most stuff on Broadway, most stuff in films and television. I, I moderate two scenes a week there, and uh, the work is really outstanding. Yet it needs improvement. You're passionate about it, I can tell. It's well, it's something that, you know, it's, it's sort of paying my dues, because as a young actor, I mean, I, I was kind of thrown into the soup with, you know, some wonderful actors like Eli Wallach and 
and Marlon Brando and Monty Clift and people like that. So the bar was set pretty high. Highly, highly, highly. <laughs> and you like the idea of passing on again to the... Well, in a sense it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's about special kind of work and, you know, the fact that you don't react on the stage to anything that's real and yet your senses have to come into play and dialects, your yes. Australian sound would be something that would be insisted upon. Can you pick up a dialect quickly? Can you do an Australian uh, well, I've, after? I've done, you know, the You've Oscar I won uh, was a Hungarian dialect, and I, I've done Mexican dialects, Spanish dialects, of Indian, mm. American Indian dialects, uh, all kinds of dialects. New Yorkers speak differently than Chicagoans. Of course they do, yeah. Even we can hear that. Uh, yeah, you can hear that. Mm. And, I mean, Midwesterners have an A that'll break glass. I, mean, <laughs> I guess I've done about 150 movies and uh, close to 400 television shows, so that's a bit of... I never know what people are going to say. I thought you were wonderful, and which is better than the alternative. Sure. <laughs> I mean, the alternative is like, I hated what you did in that, that picture. So, I mean, I don't get a lot of that, thank goodness. No, that's for the best. Do people um, bring up Mission Impossible? That would be a favourite, I'm imagining. That's one of them. Did you have fun on that? I had a lot of fun on that. I had a lot of fun on space. I, I, I try to have fun space on... Space 1999, yeah. That's right. Reduced from 2000. <laughs> on sale. See, I'm making you laugh You are. I'm funny, actually. <laughs> Most people don't think so. But I think so. They think I'm serious. But I am serious. You're serious about being funny, too. I, I think I am. <laughs> I certainly am, Ollie. What, what happened to Oliver Hardy? <laughs> My God. Have you been to Australia? I have. I've been to even Perth. I've been to Perth. Wow. All the way over on the west side of... Can't go any further. ...of, of the continent uh, and the outback. and I've been everywhere. Was that for touring or were you filming? Just curiosity. Just, good on you. Good on me indeed. So See, few. Now only Australians say good on you, otherwise we'd say good for you. <laughs> no, we say good on you. Good on I you, know, mate. I know you do. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember when, you know, the word kava was even used to describe somebody. Yeah, 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 kava. probably not anymore. Not so much. No. No, we, we stick to mate now. The barbie. <laughs> That's good. It's a little nasal, you know. I'm married to a New Zealander. And they just clip their eyes a bit more. Well... Fish, chips. You probably hear jokes all the time about convicts. Yes. The, the original population. You know, the, the British got rid of all the people who became Australians. But I love Australians because they're audacious and wonderful. Oh, thank you. I agree. I no, we... I mean, there's a lot of spirit in the Australian people and, and a lot of energy. I think it's... Terrific. They're like we were a hundred years ago. <laughs> so many have had so much success in Hollywood. What do you put that down to? We punch above our weight, population of 20-odd million. We've got a lot of Australians making, making headway here. Well, the British take, protect their people, actually. Uh, we don't. Mm. We welcome everybody. Mm. And... Uh, there's a, a huge influx of Australian and British and New Zealand actors here that are working. Mm. 
and there a lot of them are very good mm. a lot of them aren't <laughs> love your honesty what do you think when somebody's literally taken from a modeling school or out of a mall and put into a starring role in a motion picture as opposed to training it's always happened so it's to be expected there's a bunch of beautiful people and there's a bunch of serious people uh, the beautiful people can be serious not often <laughs> but you know Hollywood's always had that you've had the Bogarts and the Cagneys and the Spencer Tracys along with the Tyrone Powers and the Robert Taylors you've always had pretty people you've always had serious hard-working guys who come from the theater originally and uh, a lot of the character actors were you know people who had done a lot of work and uh, work begets work and work infuses work with all kinds of things. People are different. One of the problems with the writing today is that everyone sounds like the author as opposed to individual people. People don't sound the same. They don't go to the same schools, they don't go to the same churches, they don't go, you know. Uh, there's a huge variety of people. And when you meet them, they speak differently, they yeah. phrase differently, they think differently. And that is sort of disappearing. Mm. Everyone is becoming kind of flat. Is retirement a dirty word for you, Martin? Is what a dirty word? Retirement. Oh, just, you know, as long as I'm moving around, I, I'll uh, keep doing what I... The great thing about an actor is, unlike a dancer or a singer, I mean, whose days are limited, we just get older and play older characters. I won't play, a, I call them grunters, uh, the guys who sit like this and, and, and uh, you know, are, are the subject of ridicule for the young folks. No. <laughs> I can't see you playing that, Martin. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of that. I turned those down. You're, you're, I'm lucky to be able to. Yeah, but you're doing the good stuff. You've got good well, stuff. I mean, otherwise I'd have to do them to make a living and have a roof over my head and couple of meals on the table. What a guy, such spirit, and 87 years young. Sadly, that turned out to be one of his last television interviews. He passed away two years later after a short illness. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Stu here from 10 Speaks. And we've just turned one. Ten Speaks as a platform, I mean, not me or anyone on the team. We do not employ babies to make podcasts. I want to make that as clear as possible. We do have some great potties for you, though, like Hammer at Home with Barry Dubois, Short Black, The Professor and the Hack, Starstruck with Angela Bishop, The Goo Goo Gaga Show. That last one isn't real. It's just, you know, the baby thing again. Thanks for listening over the last year and stay tuned as we have some great new shows arriving in the coming months.
Martin and my next guest worked together in 2008's Billy, The Early Years, and before that in the 1987 telemovie The Return of the Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Woman, a reprisal of the role that won her an Emmy for Best Actress 10 years previously. That's right, I'm talking about Lindsay Wagner. Lindsay gave me some insights into the Bionic Woman, the character that made her a household name, and what she's been up to since. The Bionic Woman was, and I'm grateful to have been a part of it, such an iconic cultural reframing, especially for women, but also for men. Because, and I didn't think about it in these terms until the audience that were little children all the way up to teens got old enough to be able to articulate that the Bionic Woman of course was a role model and taught me that I could do anything as a woman, right? But when men started telling me how much they enjoyed the show and that they would even lie to their buddies, they had to go take care of their sister (laughs) because the Bionic Woman was on, they wanted to see it, but they didn't dare tell their buddies because it wasn't the Six Million Dollar Man, it was the Bionic Woman. (laughs) And they tell me things like, it was the first time they'd been given permission to be strong and sensitive. Wow. They saw strength. So they saw it in a metaphoric way, that strength and sensitivity can live within the same being. It didn't have to be a girl, Isn't necessarily. That and that was so moving to me. All the stories that the people tell me, too. You know, I wish you were my mom. I had a hard prep family life. or I didn't have my family. I was in foster care all the time. And then I just, I, you were there wherever I went with me. I mean, I'm telling you, my, my heart... Sometimes wow. they just... Did you see the groundbreaking nature of the show from the beginning? Did you see the potential for that change? Because I imagine when you're in it and doing it, it's sort of hard to see yeah. that effect that you're having. Or is that something you've seen more looking back? It's actually something I went into it with an intention to do. Wow. I had some extraordinary experiences before I ever started acting with my health and some people that were very, very uh, before their time, uh, a minister and a, me- a medical doctor who were very much like-minded into body, mind, spirit, and connectedness about healing and life and health mm-hmm. and uh, how you can't ignore any one of those facets of our beingness in being a healthy, happy person. And I had an illness I was supposed to be operated on by UCLA. And in fact, these people taught me to meditate, to do visualization. To I was, uh, I, I was a prayer, I was a Christian, and so they taught me to put all these things together. They weren't contradicting at all. And they put me on a serious fast. Well, a lot of things that are very commonplace in conversation today, including the cover of Time magazine. (laughs) But uh, in six weeks, it was gone, and I completely had no... I didn't have to have the surgery. And this is nearly 40 years ago. This was in... Yeah, I was 19. So it was about 10 years ago. Yeah, five. (laughs) Five years ago. Um, And, yeah, and it just was not talked about. So I had this awakening, if you will, to our human potential, Mm -hmm. which was way beyond anything I was getting in our normal mainstream uh, life, mine anyway. So when I had an opportunity to do a show, especially a sci-fi show, that was influencing children, Mm -hmm. I wanted to put a lot of things in it that would give kids a different way of looking at things. The fact that there was espionage and there was good guys and bad guys, I didn't want to be a stereotypical male who happened to be stronger than anybody else, and thank God he was the good guy, Mm -hmm. and go around bashing people to win. Yeah, right. 
I wanted there to be problem solving, inclusive thinking, even with your so-called adversary. Those kinds of things. So I was constantly pushing the writers and the producers, and they loved it, and they stepped up to the plate. It was not easy for them, because that was a typical formula show, other than the newness of it, the bionics yeah. and whatnot. And so we worked really hard to, to make that such. The satisfaction that you were able to do that, because network television, as we all know, has so many factors playing into it. Yeah. And to put strong, a, such a strong female character in front of young people, you know, I can't wait to show it to my daughter, put it that way. I can't wait for her to see the bionic woman. You're a terrific role model on every level. And as you say, not like a man bashing people up. Is part of this recognition of that why you look so good today? I was just asking you on the way up in the escalator if you had painting in the attic because you look absolutely incredible. <laughs> Thank you. But obviously you've been <clears throat> in touch with your own health. You would have been very conscious of your own health since that experience. So do you look after yourself in some sort of extraordinary way? Well, I don't know if it's extraordinary, but I do what I, what I know to do and what I can. I, you know, Diet has been a very serious part of my life. Meditation I've been doing since I was 19. And just the whole thinking thing, understanding how profoundly your thinking affects your health, your body, your beingness, and that which you manifest in your life, mm -hmm. even. Mm -hmm. I actually give workshops and retreats these days, have been for about 10 years, mm -hmm. and it's called Quiet the Mind and Open the Heart. And uh, sometimes we do a couple of days, but I also do long form, like seven days, six days, seven day retreats, wow. where we really submerge in the idea that our experience of our life. Our experience of any circumstance is a function of our perception of it, not the circumstance itself. It's how we see it, what our belief systems are, how all of that affects us, and that gives us the feeling that we have in the face of any phenomenon. Mm. And we think, you gave me that feeling. You did that, and therefore that feeling came with it. No, you did that, and I had a response that was pre-programmed in me. To see it a certain way therein feel that about it, but I thought you gave me that feeling. And that's the error there. Gotcha. And that's what we do in my workshops. And then how do you shift those perspectives is what I pass on because those are the things I've been taught. Fantastic. Yeah. Did you suspect, you know, so many things we saw in sci-fi back in those 70s and 60s have come to fruition. We've got the communications devices that we saw in Star Trek and all of those sort of things. Did you think that we might be further down the path of bionics um, for people by now, in reality, in some sort of way? Not really. I mean, they were... I think the movies that address all of these issues about artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. I think... And the movies are often showing the problem with that. Yes. I think there is a problem there when we're trying to blend these worlds. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's impossible. But I think that, okay, this is a big subject. I don't know if we want to even get into it. I think a lot of research is funded mm -hmm. in very self-serving ways. Mm -hmm. And I think it has held us back. And because how can, it's oftentimes, God bless them, government-oriented, yeah. military-oriented. So there may be things there that you don't even know about and that I don't even know about mm -hmm. yet. However, it's a very tricky business. You can take a computer and make it real human, but when you talk about taking a human and turning them into more of a computerized thing, I think you have a real challenge with the creator or the creation, whatever that is, mm -hmm. 
to kind of supersede what the intention was there. <laughs> that does sum up exactly what you were saying. That makes sense. I have to ask about your Australian connection. You mm-hmm. came to a Logies once. I did. It was so much fun. <laughs> no, what I do you remember? <laughs> did you know any of the Australians? That's always the difficult thing. Yeah. It's like you're watching all these Australian shows, which back back before we could share things on the internet, you would never have seen. That was exactly my answer, yes. <laughs> it, 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 today, it's a whole different story, but back then, it was hard to know who was who. So I got to meet a lot of people, really fun, and it was, it was fun feeling the room, it was fun seeing each other, because I was an objective person there too, because I didn't know people, but to see them rejoice with each other's successes, and even though there was competition, that's something that I felt that I don't know how it is today, but pretty much the same. But yeah. people, they seemed to genuinely rejoice in each other's success when somebody would win, and that was cool for me. In coming down there, it wasn't paid to come down there, but they do kind of give you what are you what do you want? You can go anywhere for two weeks. So I went to uh, after I saw Sydney, I went to Lizard Island. That was my trip, and one of the greatest trips of my life. Wow. I spent ten days under the water with a snorkel. <laughs> It was just magical. I had never seen anything like it. So I'm glad I got to see it when it was pristine. Mm. I know there's issues today. Did you have Vegemite toast before oh, you I went? I love to- Vegemite. I cook with it all the time. I am such a Vegemite person. And when I go to England, I, I carry my Vegemite and they glare at me because I'm not using Marmite. <laughs> <laughs> you cook with it. What do you I put do. It on? I put it in soups, vegetarian soups. You know, they kind of miss that bottom that a, that a meat stock gives a soup. Yes. So you put Vegemite in it, and it gives it a bottom. It gives it a bottom flavor. You have to kind of put bits and bits at a time so you don't overdo it, because mm. all of a sudden it can be very dominating. Mm. But it's great for that. Um, what else do I use it in? Plus, I just like it. I like it with macadamia nut butter on <gasps> toast. Yes. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. And are you a thin spreader, or are you a thick spreader? Do you put a big I'm, chunk on it? Just... Well, I don't know about a big chunk, but, but I'm, I'm kind of thick. Do you know what we've just I'm a salt freak, what can I say? Do you know what we've just made in Australia? Mm. Vegemite chocolate. They've put Vegemite into a block of chocolate. Whoa. I would be willing to try that. You are a good woman. Yes. I wish I had some with me. I'm gonna I do send too. you some. I'm <laughs> gonna send you some okay. Vegemite chocolate because you need to try that. You're the the only American I have ever met who likes Vegemite. Uh. Oh, that's interesting. You really? are our advocate, you are our woman. Totally. You are our star. totally. I used to eat on peanut butter, but then I got into the to the mac. Oh, you know what else is good with is the cashew butter. Because mm. it's sweet. Yeah. So you get the sweet and salty. I put it on eggs. Okay, you beat me. No, but it, try it. <laughs> okay. Try it. <laughs> what kind and of eggs? And with avocado on toast. Yeah, that I could see. Mm. Avocado on toast, mm. yeah. Eggs? We're what spreading kind of Vegemite recipes. I'm loving it. <laughs> we could collaborate on a Vegemite book. <laughs> <laughs> we could. That would be great. That would be fun. That would be great. Lee Majors was the $6 million man. That's where the Bionic Woman came. You came together. Do you guys still catch up? Were you mates? How did it work? And um, yeah, we'll, we'll get to see each other every so often when we're doing public appearances. Now that over the last several years they've been releasing different uh, mm. versions of DVDs. So we got to, to go to he and uh, Faith, his wife, uh, love the gal. We went to Italy together. I took my sons, and so we kind of did a whole thing when they did the Germany, Italy, France release of DVDs. So we've done that type of thing a few times. We just got back from Monte Carlo. They had their 55th anniversary of the Monte Carlo Film Festival, oh, yeah. which is basically a television film festival. But it's global, and people come from all over. Well, back when we were doing the, the Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Woman, it was a new, young festival, and so our shows and the shows of that era were kind of what put it on the map Fantastic. because they were these all of a sudden this globally spread 
types of shows. And so with this anniversary party, they invited the icons of the 70s to come over. So it was fun. We got oh, to do it. So we see each other every so often. But he, he lives in Texas and I live in California, so it's not like we can hang out or anything. <laughs> when the shows were on, the pressure must have been enormous. You biggest stars on television. You look at today where TMZ is following everyone around and there's all sorts of social media. Do you think you were lucky? Do you think you had, had that at a good time? How do you think it would be today? Well, we had our version of it. Did you? <laughs> we definitely did. It was just, uh, it wasn't usually moving pictures. It was the guy in the bushes with his camera, you know, in your, <laughs> in your garden or whatever. But I suppose it is even worse today because people, everybody has a camera too. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it felt, I'm, I'm sure it is worse today, but it still happens. And I always had a nice relationship with the press. I think... Something that's different in the vein of what you're asking is that the whole business and the whole PR thing is just meaner than it used to be. It's systemic. It's all of the, not all, but many of the reality shows. Mm. It's about exclusion. It's about getting voted off the island. It's about her being a you-know-what. Uh, all of these reality shows, it's... it's and so even... In the press, it's just it goes across the board, mm. from the programming to the press to whatever. Whereas, what I relate to, what we went through was, if you were nice to the press, they were nice to you. Got it. When you were, you know, get that camera out of here. Mm. Oh boy, forget it. You know, you were hounded everywhere you went. But I don't know if that's possible today. Yeah. Um, there's still a lot of the old timers out there when I go to an event, and it's nice to see them, and it's like, oh. I because we had a good relationship and I always respected them. They're doing their job. It's part of what gets us out there. Whereas other people resent that. And it's like, how can you resent that? Without mm. them, how do they know about us? Mm. Mm. You know? Did they try to create romance back in the day between you and, and Lee? Was that because it was in the show? Did they try to make it? That it was no, we had enough going of our own. <laughs> I don't think they had to try and create anything. <laughs> It's always good to talk to someone who legitimately loves Vegemite as much as I do, not just an American actor bunging it on to sound cool. No, she was the real deal. Interestingly, just as we finished doing that interview, our next interviews arrived in the room. And so I actually had the opportunity to introduce the bionic woman to the cast of The Waltons and to Dick Van Dyke. None of these people had met each other before. And by the time they'd all finished having a bit of a chat, they were all saying to each other, Nightmare Ellen, Night Jim Bob. <laughs> it's the way they did at the end of The Waltons. It was quite something. Thanks for listening. I'm Ange Bishop and this has been Starstruck, a Studio 10 podcast for 10 speakers. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.